Thank you so much for that um, very gracious introduction. Evidence not of our impact, but evidence of Cornerstone's gospel-driven grace. Amen? And uh, before we start, I just want to give a shout-out this morning to Mom and Dad. Uh, Mom and Dad, can you just stand up? You should have, you know, raised your hand just now. They were too embarrassed. All right. Um, this, I mean, thank you. Uh, Mom and Dad, they are just epic leaders in the kingdom and you don't hear about it because they serve in China and Asia. And really, I can truly say without them, I won't be standing here. So, um, really, truly grateful for uh, epic people God put in our life. Um, the sermon this morning is the family God's arena for authentic gospel leadership. And we mean authentic in terms of expression of the gospel but also authentic in the arena in terms of the developing of authentic leaders in God's kingdom. It really is sermon three of a three-part sermon, but there's this culmination, I thought, you know, given limited time, that this, this is really what I sense the Lord is wanting us to hear this morning, and it's very much really more of a story of my own journey into the gospel, into authenticity, and having Christ transform my heart. So this morning really is nothing more than just, you know, part of the process that Kathy and I, our family, have been just walking through. Now, before we begin, uh, it's, it really, it is an incredible grace to be back here at Cornerstone. We are so excited. Literally every Saturday night, Sunday morning, we get up. Literally, we are excited. We're buzzing. We get to go to Cornerstone today. We get to go and listen to these authentic leaders, and we get to fellowship with you guys. I mean, am I the only one? No, right? I mean, it really is just an amazing experience. It is a privilege to be back. And one of the things that we really appreciate is Cornerstone's biblical emphasis that the home is a key part of Cornerstone's discipleship. I mean, a lot of you guys are on the, 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 the weekly uh, a mailing from the pastors at Cornerstone that Milton sends out. And if you're not on it, get on it. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Just sign up. And, and this week on Monday, you know, the pastor just sent out this, this, this incredible statement. It says, quote, a godly family has Christ at his head and the church has Christ as her head. Therefore, a godly family should feel a profound connection to the local church, and the local church should feel a profound connection to the family and do all in its power to help its household become vital places of worship, ministry, instruction, and outreach. Amen? That's what we really appreciate about Cornerstone. That there is a biblical integration and emphasis between the church as we meet here and then the little church that meets daily in the home that God has put into all of our lives. And then the second thing that we really do appreciate, and time prevents us from sharing all the stuff, I just want to share two. And the second is leadership authenticity. What our leaders teach from the pulpit flows out of who they are in Christ, flows out of the gospel transformation that they experience. It's very clear to all of us here that our leadership here doesn't preach as the high point of their ministry in the week, but that the high point of the ministry is their daily walk under the cross of Jesus Christ as the gospel saturates their, their lives. And Sunday morning from the pulpit is but the mere overflow of what the Lord has been doing in their life. 
Amen, Dad? And that is exactly why as we come and our pastor preaches, it's not just the word as we will say this morning, but they impart their life for us. And as they impart their life to us, our hearts are inflamed. As the people marvel at how Jesus preached with authority, because there is the perfect in-sync correlation between the gospel that he spoke and the cross that he acted out for us. And so Milton, as he preaches, there's no question that he's speaking authentically. I mean, just read his gospel primer. If you go back to the very end of the book, as you look at page 91, he strikes out this, I've had it, my heart fumed as I drove home, and on and on. You can't get more honest and transparent than that. And this morning, I'm going to talk about some of the things that the Cornerstone leadership does. And we need to be very, very clear that as we praise Paul in the scriptures, we're not ultimately praising Paul, but Paul's Savior. Amen? And that as we talk and as, as we praise some of our leaders' examples before, ultimately, we're not praising the elder board or the pastoral team. We're praising the Savior that has brought the gospel into their lives and into our lives. Amen. And this authenticity extends to the entire pastoral team. We challenge the church to go and minister authentically seven days a week. And the family is one of the arena for it. And I know for a fact that all four pastors daily disciple their children. We emphasize care group in this church and virtually all the elders, well actually all the elders have led care groups in their own lives or are at this point leading care groups. That's not always common in the churches you will attend. And so God has given us tremendous grace in a group of leaders here that is serving authentically, that we may taste and see an authentic gospel-driven life, that we may experience the beauty of the gospel. And so my first point this morning, authenticity, authentic leadership how do we define authenticity? In 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, and 8, and this whole context that we're talking about today, I have two main sections. Thessalonians 1 and 2 is the main section, and then another main section, 1 Timothy 3. And in summation, authenticity, biblically, in these two passages, as far as I can see, is that our gospel claim is matched by who we are in our hearts, and in our life. So what we say verbally and who we are in our hearts before Christ, as these verses show, and how we live out of our life matches up. We are authentic. We are real. We are transparent. What you see, what you hear matches up. And so the first major point this morning, authentic leadership is essential to gospel tra transformation. Why? The first reason why this is essential is because authenticity in the gospel is essential to imparting the gospel. To imparting the gospel. Sorry, I'm trying to get this clicker to go. Oh, I see you clicking the Okay, 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel did not come to you in word only. Not in word only, but in power, in demonstration of the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says, what context did he demonstrate that? What kind of men we prove to be among you. And 1 Thessalonians 2, he continues to the church. He says, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. 
also our own lives. This is really crucial because since the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1, when God made us in His image to reflect the greatness and the glory of God, we lost it in Genesis 3 when we sought to have our own image to be equal to God. And from that point on, we started hiding. And so we lost the authenticity from the very Garden of Eden. And so the Gospel comes, and the Gospel in all its realness, in all the life of Christ, and all the glory of God, the densest point of God's glory, the Gospel comes and bids us to be authentic. And Paul here demonstrates this, and he says, I came to you not only in words, not only in words, but I came also imparting my own authentic, Gospel-driven life. And Jesus, on his time on earth, he had compassion. He came to seek and save the lost. But there was only one type of person, one type of leadership that Jesus continually spoke out against. And those are leaders that were not authentic. He spoke of the Pharisees. He says, you know what? Look at the scribes and the Pharisees. The problem wasn't that they were scribes and Pharisees. But he says, therefore, all that they tell you Do and observe. There's nothing wrong with what they're saying, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. But gospel truth bids us as leaders, and we shall see all of us as leaders, from the youngest eight-year-old in this room all the way to 80. We're all leaders. The gospel bids us to be authentic because the gospel is about life. Jesus came to impart life. Jesus is life of God. He is the one that breathed life to us at the Garden of Eden, and He is the one that continued to breathe life to us through the Gospel. And it says, don't be like them who say things and not do them. The problem is not that they didn't say the right thing. The problem is that the life did not reflect the authentic reality. They look good on the outside, but the inside... They were unclean. The heart was untransformed. And when the heart can't be transformed, then the deeds and the life can't be lived out. So Jesus, the only thing that he condemned among the leaders was hypocrisy, the lack of authenticity. So the first thing we see is that authenticity is absolutely essential. I mean, think about this. This morning, I'm preaching on the gospel being authentically transformed in the arena of our family, that it is essential. What if you found out right before the sermon that today, this is just an illustration, don't quote me, today I have divorce papers all signed up and all drawn up and I'm going to present divorce paper to my lovely wife of 20 years. Do you think this morning as I'm preaching the Word of God, as the Word goes out, do you think that you will want to sit there and listen to the sermon about gospel authenticity? Absolutely not. The problem is not my word. The problem is that my life doesn't match up with the power of the gospel. Amen? And therefore, this is so essential that we know that authenticity, the matching of the gospel truth that we claim that we live under at Cornerstone must be, it is essential, it must be what? Authentic. That is how we impart the gospel. And under this, this, this leadership, gospel-centered, uh, requires authentic leadership, we also see 
that authentic leaders are not only teachers, they don't only teach, but they have to model the gospel for others to do what? To imitate. To imitate. This is essential because back to this text, First Thessalonians 1, he's talked about gospel not coming only in words, but the kind of men that we prove to be among you. For your sake, you also became imitators. Just as Genesis 1, we were made to reflect the image of God. We are called to image God. And who do we image? Paul here says, as the gospel transformed me, I look like Christ. Just as Christ reflects the glory of the Father, so now Paul is imitating Christ. He reflects Christ, so you and I then are called to imitate the leaders God has set before us. The leaders that God has driven before us to set before us that we may be drawn into the glories of the gospel goodness. First Thessalonians 2, having so fond an affection for you, you were well pleased to, we were well pleased to impart not only the gospel, but our own lives. And it goes to verse 14, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and on Paul's goes. We must understand that as we talk about authenticity, that it is essential to, to what? To, to impart the gospel. We must also say we are not imparting the gospel alone, but we agree with the word of God. We must surrender ourselves to the word of God, that we are actually surrendering to the gospel for the purpose of others imitating us as we imitate those who goes before us. And so this word imitation here, um, in Greek, it gives rise to the word like mimeograph, which is a photocopy machine, the old style. Those of you in college, grad school, you got no clue what I'm talking about. But when I was a kid, I was in dad's office. There's this big, noisy, giant, scary machine. And they have this little thing and it'll go, it'll spit out a sheet at a time, the mimeograph. And that's how they made photocopies. Now you just press a button, 30 minutes per copy. But in those days, it was a big deal to get these things copied. Or the word mime. And what is mime? A mime is someone who acts out with no words something so clearly, so perfectly imitation that you know exactly what the mime is doing as if the mime had spoken. And the world-famous mime, Marcel Merceau, of France, it was interesting as I was reading about mimes, it says this, this English woman went up to, 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 to take lessons from him, and, and it said that all day he taught his students how to make the mind movements, that's the teaching, that's the word, and each evening they went to see him perform, their performances were marked indelibly by the style of the master. Even the mind knew that for them to imitate me, it's not enough just to speak the word correct and truthful as they are, but the propositional truth must always be matched up by the life itself if the gospel is to be shown as good and true. Amen? And that is exactly what the Lord has placed before us. This, this, this call to what? To be the kind of leaders that others can imitate. And this is constantly in Paul's mind. I mean, space prevents us from, from listing more, but I'll just list a few here. In 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul says, imitate me as I am of Christ. As Paul was mimeographed by the gospel of Christ, 
So we too are to be mimeographed into the image of Christ by imitating the leaders that exudes the goodness of the gospel. That's how Cornerstone is equipping and transforming us. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Philippians 3.7, Brothers, join in imitating me according to the example you have in us. 1 Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians, how you ought to imitate us and in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul talks to the young leader, Timothy. He's teaching Timothy how do you develop leaders? How do you uh, train leaders? How do you qualify leaders? We'll look at it at the end of the sermon. And he says, you know what, Timothy, show yourself to be an example to those who believe. Now he talks to Titus again about church leadership. In all things, show yourself to be an example. And so we see that Paul, in his understanding of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, that it is life transforming and if it's life transforming if the gospel is to transform your life it must first transform my life before I stand on the pulpit if the gospel is to transform my children it must first transform me as a father it must first transform us as a mother if I'm teaching on Sunday school and I'm bringing the gospel to these children, that entire week, it must first transform my own heart. I must first understand the gentleness of Jesus under the cross. The kindness of Jesus under the cross. When someone cuts me off on the freeway, I must be able to say, praise the Lord. Well, okay, maybe over-spiritualizing it a bit. But yeah, the kindness and the gentleness before I can teach it. Because gospel transformation is authentic transformation. It is life transformation. It is not just information, but it is transformation. Amen? And so this concept of imitation, this biblical truth of imitation, is very, very critical that we understand as we seek to become a more gospel-driven church. Two things in the last 10 years, as Kathy and Review, have really impacted our lives, have really marked our lives. Some of you know, Milton mentioned that we go to China. We just got back about a month ago, and we spoke to 111,000 people in the space of about a month. My dad's the lead guy. And I will speak at churches of 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, sometimes five days a week. And we're not just preaching one sermon. This is why I have trouble in this sermon, because my average sermon in China is... 80 to 90 minutes. This is just half that. I'm only half done at the end of the sermon. And then, and then when we go and we preach, and, and then last year, Dad was preaching to 11,000 people in one service. And people are like, wow. You know what? God's not impressed. Because before I preach to those that which people think it's amazing, what God is really coming after is my heart, my transformation. Am I standing on the pulpit out of the overflow of the goodness of the cross in my own life? This cornerstone has indelibly marked our life. And I wrote, even when the five years when God called us to serve in the mountains, every year without fail, one time or another or twice, I'll write Milton. Sometimes I send it to all the pastors. I say, thank you for the impact. Because when I go to China and I preach, brothers and sisters, I am not just preaching the words, but I'm seeking to preach out the overflow. Where did I learn that? I learned that at Cornerstone. Because my wife and I, this is not to impress you, but my wife has got two seminary degrees. I've gone to two different seminaries. We've learned all this stuff. We've exegeted. We've done all this stuff. 
God's not impressed, neither should you be. That's not to impress you, but to say that we've been to multiple seminaries, but really what we found as we reveal our life as a servant of the Lord, as we go and calling other people to the cross, we realize that when we really got transformed, the two major factors, one of which is Cornerstone. And it's not because of what Cornerstone's pulpit teaches alone, but in Cornerstone, we encounter truth in relationships. We encounter truth that is authentic, demonstrated, just as Paul says, I I impart to you the gospel, not only the gospel, but impart to you my life. And so as we encounter Milton and the two Carlos's and Mike Berry and the elder board, it's just incredible fellowship. I come on Tuesday morning, 6 o'clock, so I'm getting up 5 o'clock, so oh, I'm exhausted, and I drive down here to the men's Bible study every Tuesday, not because of the truth. Look, honestly, it's good truth, but I can just click on the internet at 9 a.m., comfortably with a coffee, well, I don't drink coffee, comfortably with the milk, whatever, you know, and I can get all kinds of theological truth. It is not just about the information and the gospel. The reason God called us to authenticity, it is truth encountered in relationships. And that's why it shows up on Tuesday morning. And that's why Tuesday morning has been transforming my life, because I see truth in relationship. Amen? And authenticity, brothers and sisters, is the cry of our culture. Politics, sports. Social life. I won't mention the names. You know exactly who we're talking about. I mean, the famous wedding, $10 million. And then gushing. The time we did with that. Oh, this is so good. I found the love of my life. You know, we are unconditional in our love. And 72 later, 72 days later, a massive epic divorce. We are in a crisis of authority. And the gospel, authenticity and the gospel comes, stands in testimony and says, Look at me. Look closer. I am calling you to an authentic ministry so that we can present Christ as real that others may imitate us. So, then where most clearly is gospel authenticity seen? Who in this world sees most clearly whether I am authentically walking in Christ or not? Honestly, look, come on. I come this morning, I show up, I'm dressed in this nice Costco Kirkland shirt, respectable dress shoes, standing up here, exposing this, telling you how many people we talked to in China. Again, remember, God's not impressed, so you ought not be impressed. Amen? You don't really know my heart. You don't really know who knows my heart the best. Who knows whether I am really living the gospel truth. Who knows where you are really living the gospel truth. Who? Our family members. My wife. Joshua. Josiah. Your spouse. Your children. Your parents. I mean, anyone had this experience? Sunday morning, rushing to church, we had to be ushers, you know, Sunday school teachers, standing on the pulpit, leading music, playing prayer, whatever. And in the rush to go, the kid spills the milk. I just spilled this whole cup right here. Sorry about that, but no electronics, so we're okay. And so, apt example, right? Maybe this is from the Lord. Better drink the last remaining precious drop. So here's the deal. Spills the milk and then can't find the socks. And I said, honey, can't you find it? I'm going to be an usher today. What's the deal? And the honey's like, wow, well, you're no great help. I've been up sick, I mean, with the sick kids three days in a row. And we come and we're just on the way. And we argue the entire way to church. And we park up there. We get out of the car and we see Mike Berry. Hey, Pastor Mike, how are you? Praise the Lord. Hey, brothers and sisters, praise the Lord this morning. Turn with me and we start singing. Oh, children. Welcome, isn't Jesus good? 
One minute before that, World War III. One minute after that, praise the Lord, wonderful, thank you. I've been praying for you this week. Hallelujah, sister. Preach it, brother. Isn't that the truth? Now, that's not condemnation of our ministry at church, but to point out the simple truth, one of the clearest places that God has placed us on earth where we can see our gospel authenticity is the relationship between a husband and a wife and a father and a son. And this goes all the way back to Genesis 1 where this truth is embedded in the very core of Genesis 1 on why God created the universe. And so, so authentic leadership prioritizes family relationships. Why? First, because family relationships provide a context for gospel authenticity. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 20. But before we get to this text, we have to first see the, 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 the large backdrop, the stage that Paul is painting for us. Paul here is very much gospel-centered. Very much gospel living. Very much gospel preaching. He is here. Four times he talks about, I'm speaking the gospel to you. The gospel we speak. We're imparting the gospel to you. We proclaim the gospel to you. I am bringing the gospel to you. But not just the propositional truth, but in the context of relationship. Because he says in so many verses to the Thessalonians, just as our pastors and elder board constantly share their love for us. I got, I got an email yesterday from one of the leaders in our group that's been in Pastor Milton's uh, care group for, for a number of years. And he's a leader now in this church in multiple different ways. And I said, you know, what do you appreciate most about Milton? Just no prep, just asking. He's like, you know what? He's authentic. He's real. He cares deeply for his sheep. And that's true of all the pastors in the elder board of this church. And Paul here says, because of the gospel, he, he, in his life, he says, thanks to God always for all of you. I'm constantly bearing in mind your walk of faith. I'm so fond for you. I have a great affection for you. You have become very dear to us. Constantly, I thank God. All the more eager with great desire, I want to see your face. Who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? This is not you. And Paul concludes chapter 1 and 2 in saying, You are our joy. You are our Glory. Singles, someday if you want to woo that woman, these are good lines to borrow from. I mean, look at the passion that Paul has. He is imparting gospel truth, but not truth that is just propositional truth alone. That's very, very important. But he's imparting it, this, this truth in life, in flesh and blood, in relationship. And so in this context, we're going to start looking at what Paul, he says here in Thessalonians 2, I came in this context of the gospel, in the context of relationship, I come in this backdrop. He says, our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted by the gospel, he who examines our heart, we never came with flattery or speech. So he gives this little backdrop about the gospel, about authenticity, about truth, about relationship, about how passionate he is. He says, nor did we see glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have destroyed that authority. And then jump over to the continued uh, verse later. He says, I, uh, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart you not only the gospel, but our own lives. On and on he goes in verse 10. He says, How blameless we, we behave before you. Now this is what we want to see about the relational context. In verse 6, as he's laying this out, he's got this authority. 
He's an apostle. I mean, if you want to look at the church food chain, at the very top of the food chain are the apostles. They're right there at the very top. And Paul here is trying to communicate gospel living truth. He's trying to communicate in relationship. He shares his love for them. He's urging them towards an authentic life where authenticity is the gospel truth matched up, backed up by my heart and life. And he says, you know, I come to you. I could have exerted my apostolic authority. Nothing wrong with that. That's completely legitimate. He really pounded the Corinthians with that because they needed that. But here as Paul is coming down in a very intimate setting, in a very real setting, in a very transparent setting, he longs for them. He says, you know what? Though, you see the word though in verse 6, as apostles, we could have insisted on that. That signals to us he's going to shift to something. Though we have had this highest position, uh uh-uh. I'm going to talk to you about something even more. So in verse 7, he says, but, though I could have been an apostle, uh uh-uh. But I'm going to lay that down, important as that may be, but I have this context. I prove to be gentle among you as a what? Nursing mother. And I remember being really jealous of Kathy. When we had those two boys, you know, and they were breastfeeding, and they were sitting there and just longing for the pure milk of the mother, you know. And they're just sitting there, and Kathy's holding them, and my son would just be looking at mommy and then contentedly suckling the mother's pure milk, and Kathy would be looking down, you know. And that bond, I just have always felt God was unfair. (laughs) I couldn't have that bond. Like this nursing mother, Paul was saying. He could have chosen any analogy. He could have chosen pastors. He could have chosen prophets. He could have chosen teachers. He could have chosen evangelists. He could have chosen deacons. He could have chosen apostles. He was all of them if he wanted to qualify for them. He says, "Uh uh-uh. Family relationship was the context that I bring up to communicate the richness and the depth, the intensity in which... I'm being very real and authentic with you. Not only that, the mother, and he goes through these texts, and then he, he bookends it again, and he says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you. Can you see his heart? Can you see his gospel-driven heart as a leader? He wasn't a leader in a positional sense. I got a job to do. I got a sermon to preach. He was a leader because he really cared for them. He shepherded them like Christ the good shepherd because the gospel taught him how to shepherd. And he says here, when I implored each of you as a father would his children. Do you see how in God's word, that family relationships provide a model and a context for gospel authenticity. How do I gospel the example to my children? How do I gospel life into my children? Do I understand that the most important transformation in their life is not the Sunday school, not that that's unimportant, it's not the school they go outside eight hours a day, not that that's not important, but that I have been called. I have been called to demonstrate this because when Paul needed a deep analogy, he used the mother and the father. And one of the tragedies today is this. In those days, Paul was trying to really pull the deepest analogy to show his love to the Corinthians. He says, what do I have? I know the mother and the father. He expects that the people of God 
automatically understands the impact of this text. But one of the tragedy today is we actually have to look at Paul's word and how he left the Thessalonians and use that to teach us in this generation, this is what a mother means. This is what a, Paul, uh, what a father means. We've reversed it. In his day, in the biblical understanding, we as children of God, as saints in Cornerstone, we who are gospel-driven, we must inherently understand, starting with Genesis chapter 1, that God has laid only this covenantal relationship between a husband and wife on this side of eternity. And on all of eternity, Jesus and the church is still the marital covenantal relationship. All the other positional relationships in the church will fall away in eternity. And so Paul comes to the most holy analogy on the face of the earth, but today we miss that. Because we don't really understand what it means more to be gospel context in our family life. This is not a condemnation, but this is to give us hope and encouragement because it is very clear that God has called Cornerstone's leadership and therefore all of us in Cornerstone who have called leadership one way or another into this deep gospel, truth, gospel, authentic life. And we cannot neglect the family transformation. If we ignore the home, we ignore it at our peril. For we miss one of the fundamental truths of the gospel, which is that it is transforming, it is authentic. And God has laid this before us as a context and as a model for us. And so 1 Thessalonians 2, after Paul goes through these verses... And he completes verse, not complete, but he, he gets to 11, he does this. And in verse 12, how does he apply it? What's the fruit of all this gospel authenticity, all this truth in relationship, all this gospel imparting in life? In verse 12, so that, it's in the text, English original, go look. So that you would what? Walk in a manner worthy of God. For this reason also, we also constantly thank you, God. And on and he goes with the richness of the remaining section. So that, so that we would all walk in this gospel truth. Because family relationships provide a context and a model for gospel authenticity. Do I model this in my own family life? Because in this next passage... We will see authentic leaders prioritize family relationships in part two. Not only is it a model or a context, it is also developed at home. It is proven and developed at home. There are two texts in the New Testament that specifically talks about the qualification of church leadership, especially the overseer. So here is, in 1 Timothy 3, it is trustworthy, a man aspires to be off of overseer, it's a fine work he decides to do, uh, desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not addicted to wine, pugnacious, and on it goes. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So quick question, brothers and sisters. Who is this passage written to? We have seven elders in our church. Is that correct? Who is this passage written to? Who? Come on, I don't buy it. You can answer. Who? To men? 
to elders, to all of us. Who is it? Answer, not just to the overseers. Overseers are the elders and the pastors. To all of us. Really, Moses, doesn't it say overseers? In fact, twice it repeats that. I just went to the Greek parallel Bible and it's there, twice overseer. Well, okay. So let's say this. Tonight, I write in a resignation to Campus Crusade for Christ. I don't go to China. I'm going to find a job outside. I'm going to sell fishing rods. All right? And so I'm just going to go into, you know what? I'm no longer an elder. I'm not an overseer. Therefore, tomorrow, again, don't quote me. This is just an illustration. I'm going to find a second woman. Tomorrow, I'm going to get drunk. Tomorrow, I'm going to go and seek for money. Tomorrow, I'm not going to teach my kids gospel truth again. Tomorrow, I'm going to go and punch somebody that I've really wanted to punch all these years. Tomorrow, I'm no longer going to be peaceable. When someone cut me up the freeway, man, I'm, I'm going to go and chase them down with my little turbo Subaru, and I'm going to cut them off and get them back, get them a little bit. Can I do that? No? But didn't some of you say, well, this is only for church leaders? Mm-mm. This is for all the saints. If the gospel is true, if Jesus went to the cross, if Jesus called us to his kingdom, there are no second-class gospel saints. Well, all saints, well, all chosen before the foundation of the world, well, all priests, well, all a royal priesthood, well, all God's chosen people, well, all ministers of the gospel, were all called to reflect Christ's image fully with no limitation. So what does it mean here? It says, an overseer must be real simple. All of us are called to see Christ, to behold Christ, to be transformed by beholding Him, 2 Corinthians 3.18. All of us are called to reflect Christ. All of us are to daily gospel cross Jesus into our lives. All of us are called to be an example that others may imitate us. But... If you are to be positionally an elder at a church or a pastor at a church, you must first attain these gospel truths in your life before you can be an overseer. Not that these are only for the overseers, these are for all of us. Because we are all influencing others towards the kingdom and therefore we are all called to be leadership. That's a different sermon. And so really what Paul is saying, remember he is saying, imitate, 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 model, 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 example, example, impart life, impart life. So when he talks about the leadership, he's not saying this is just for the leaders, but he's saying this. Leaders, if you're going to be a leader, you must have attained this so that, by implication, you may model the living cross for all the saints, that you may tell the saints what I tell you, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So this is for all the saints. But the leaders among the saints who are elders must be able to say, you know what, you've got to imitate me as I imitate Christ. I am the living proof that the gospel is real, it's authentic, it's good, it's living, because that's the, what the world is crying for. You heard the word, words are cheap, because they are cheap. The Pharisees were masters of it, got them nowhere. Because when Jesus preached, they were amazed, Matthew 7, because he preached as one with authority. It wasn't just the words, it was his life. Amen? And so here, the home is the training ground. And this is very, very interesting. Paul talks about character. Paul talks about gifting, able to preach the word, knowledge. But he talks only about two relationships to the leaders. He doesn't talk about a businessman with his employee, a master with a slave. 
He doesn't talk about teachers and students. He doesn't talk about, talk about priests and the Israelites. He talks about two central simple relationships that came all the way from Genesis 1. He talks about husband, love your wife. Love your wife because it's only one wife. We don't have time to unpack that. But it's like Deuteronomy 6. There's only one God, therefore you love God with all your heart. You only got one wife, you better love her because this is your covenantal love. And then secondly, fathers, you manage your own household well. And look at this. Look at verse 4 again. He must be one who manages his household well, keeping his children in control and dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? The order, brothers and sisters, the order is significant. You first learn in this litmus test in the school of this covenantal family before you can learn to lead in the large family. Because in the family, all these characteristics that Paul talks about, all this character of a leader is seen most clearly in the family. Is developed most clearly in the family. You know, brothers and sisters, when I was single in seminary, happy, you know, SLR, carefree, other than those financial loans. Um, you know, I really thought I was pretty cool. You know, this verse here is in verse 3. It says, overseer, you know, uh, uh, it says, uh, you know, a leader must be um, gentle. Verse 3. I was pretty gentle. All the guys and the girls, both genders. Hey, Moses, you're really, you know, sensitive. You listen well, you know, with a dorm RA. I thought I was really pretty quite a catch when Kathy found me. Well, not really. I thought, you know, gentleness, no problem, check. Then I got married. First two years into marriage, almost every single time, I actually think it was every single time, checked with my wife. She speaks the truth. And I speak the truth. I'm standing on the pulpit. I better be speaking the truth. Every two years, every time we went out for a social event, a church event, a friend thing, we'll come home. I'll be driving, happy. You know, wow, it was just a great dinner, wasn't it, honey? And my wife was sitting there. And she loved me enough to try to hide it. I said, honey, what's wrong? Nothing. In the entire time, the first two years, we'll be in a group and Kathy will start speaking. And I'll get so excited about what my wife's saying. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Boom, 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 boom. And I'll just cover all her. I trampled over her virtually every single time we were in a social situation. She'll start something in her gentle, you know, woman godliness. And I'll go boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she can get a word in edgewise. Husbands, am I the only one with this problem? And I realized, oh my goodness, I don't have this thing. I gotta fail. Flunk. And I had to learn how to listen. And I'm still learning how to listen. 20 years into it. But by God's grace, He has trained me how to listen far better than all the seminaries I've ever been to. Truth encountered in relationship. Gospel lived out in relationship. And the densest earthly relationship the richest, the fullness, the, quote, heaven on earth relationship is this covenantal relationship where the husband is to love the wife as Christ loves the church. Amen? And of course, you go down and look at some of these, you know, other things. Uh, leadership is supposed to be temperate, self-controlled, not pugnacious, not violent, not vicious. Temperate, pugnacious, check, check. Until I had two sons. 
And I started homeschooling. You chuckle. <laughs> Those of you who parent, you know exactly what I'm saying. And then I realized I have an anger problem. Not just a little anger problem, a giant anger problem. So I started teaching my son Joshua math. Bright kid, lost the Lord, but very proud of our two sons for God's glory. And I'm teaching math. Two days ago, I'll teach this concept. Yesterday, he forgot. So I patiently taught him again yesterday. Today, we'll do the problem. He forgot again. And I lose it because this is so easy. I was an electrical engineer. Lots of math. Electrical engineers are like 50% math. Isn't this obvious? If it wasn't obvious, I would have taught it better. Three days later, and I pound the table. That's nothing, all right? Because I'm respecting your pulpit. All right, here's the deal. I would pound the table and I say, Josh, I can't believe it. Are you paying any attention? And I would spill anger and I would be violent. And I would be pugnacious at my six year old. <laughs> now, I really don't know why that's funny. You can explain to me later. But here's the deal five minutes later, he's in tears, the spirit work. God. You want me to humble myself, the chief of pride, Genesis 3 pride. Joshua, would you forgive me? Just now I lost my temper. Math stops. Homeschooling starts. Discipleship begins. Would you forgive me? When I got angry with you just now, I sinned against God. I sinned against Christ. He died on the cross that we may be transformed. Would you forgive me, son? I love you. I was wrong. Would you pray for me? And when he was younger, just now, you know, before I preach, I really struggled in the first sermon, and I thought, you know, who do I get to pray for me? I just went to Joshua right after he finished the set, and I said, would you pray for me, son? And so back then, five, six years old, and I said, you know, son, would you pray for daddy? And he says, okay, dear Jesus, please change daddy's heart so that he won't get mad at me again. Amen. That's simple, a six-year-old prayer. And I said, Josh, you know what? Remember yesterday? You had this conflict with your brother over this toy. You know, just like your father at 40 years old needs the cross, daily comes under Jesus, daily apply the forgiveness of the gospel. Just like your dad's son, when you have conflict with your brother, you must know that daily when you grow now, when you become adult, you must come under the cross of Jesus. And the cross is authentically developed, authentically demonstrated at its deepest level at the home level. That's why Paul here tells the leaders and to all of us saints, you want to qualify for leadership? I got all these characteristics, I got these abilities, yeah, but I'll tell you, look at two relationships, watch those two relationships, because the order is really significant. First, learn this, demonstrate this, show gospel goodness where it needs to be shown the most, one generation after the next. We don't have time to talk to, about the fact that in evangelical churches, there's no question in every denomination, 65 to 85% of young people when they turn 18 to 22 leave their church. I believe in all my studies and reading that the number one factor is that they have not seen in their own family life the living truth of the gospel lived out deeply in the living truth of a transformed life. It's not condemnation, but encouragement. Because Cornerstone is seeking to go this direction and take us in this direction. And all of us 
are blessed as a result of this. Amen? That we have authentic leaders who are seeking to lead us authentically. That's why we read that comment just now that we must equip, do everything possible to equip the family to serve and to worship and to be transformed and to pray and on it goes. So in ministry, I led a team, did Bible study every week, and one time one of my staff did something unwise, blew 1500 bucks. I got really unhappy. So I looked at my staff, we were in a staff meeting, and I rebuked him. And it wasn't kind. Went back, the Lord started working. And so I had to apologize. Authentic, Matthew chapter 5, if you leave something on the table, I mean, do, do, do uh, uh, something at the altar. Leave first if you have a broken relationship. Make it good. And so I didn't just apologize to him. I wait for the entire staff team to come back. So that I could say, would you forgive me? I was unkind to you. I wasn't temperate. I was pugnacious. Would you forgive me? I love you in Christ in front of everyone. And at one time at church on Saturday night, there was some Christmas thing. I did something unwise. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't an accident. I was preaching the next morning at a different church. And the first thing I got up before I could preach, because preaching is a kind of offering at an altar, isn't it? And I've offended the people of Christ. And I got up, and the first thing I did is, brothers and sisters, last night, I recounted it. It was unintentional. You guys know it's unintentional. You may think it's minor. It's not minor because it did not give glory to Christ. Would you please forgive me before we can do this sermon? And this is by God's grace, because where did I learn to do this? Where did I learn to do this? I didn't learn this in seminary. Not that seminary is bad. I learned this in my relationship with Kathy. I learned this in my relationship with Joshua and Josiah. Even before that, I learned it at 18 in my relationship with my mom and dad, who's so epic in my life. That's why Paul here says, first, what? Live out the gospel in your household. It is your training ground. It is just blessing. It is the goodness. This is where the goodness of Christ is lavish, dripping, overflowing. So when Paul talks to the Thessalonians, he had to pull at something as an analogy that they would get a full measure of what Paul is feeling for them as a shepherd, as an apostle. He says, you know, I'm going to just leave this apostle. I love you like a nourishing mother, as a mother feeding the baby. In fact, it doesn't even say the word mother in that text. It just says the breastfeeding of the milk, like a father. That's why in our church, God is leading all of our leadership team to take this church. Say, you know why? We have big church, we have small church, they're both church, they're integrated, one built into the other, the other built back at the big church. We are being beautiful because the gospel is beautiful and calls us into authentic ministry in the arena of both our big family here on Sunday and the rest of the week, and our small family at home, by definition. So, brothers and sisters, as we come towards the lending, consider this. When I preach this, is this an offering on the altar? When you're singing today, is that not an offering on the altar? When you're leading worship up here, when you pick up your kid after Sunday school, the nursery people, they are, we are all offering an altar. You put something in the offering plate. That's also an offering on the altar. Have you first seen this as being holy and good? That I must first serve this well at home before the order is important. I serve at church. So this is by God's grace. 
Any boasting, like Paul says, I'm foolish to boast, but boast for the glory of Christ. This is by God's grace. I don't think a single time, I truly don't think, this is gospel grace, this is not Moses Tay or Kathy Tay. There's not been one time in my life, out of hundreds, a thousand, I don't know, I've lost count, that I have stood on the pulpit to preach the word of God, to offer an altar offering to our Savior, under the cross, under the goodness of the gospel. There's not been one time where Kathy and I had conflict, where I did not go and she did not come, and we first said, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I love you. I am here to keep zero debt in my family relationships. Not once. Why? Because this is good. The gospel is holy. It is life. And if it's life, I must live it out. Because if I do not live it here at home, where my sons know me the best, I can't live it out here in the pulpit. Amen? You will hear words with no power. And so right now, what am I working on in my life? I tell Milton all the time. Milton says all the time to the leaders, we don't only teach truth. We must teach truth beautifully. And the last year, God has been talking to me really loud. Moses, I need you to develop beauty. You talk fast, you're intense, you've done all this stuff. You need to do it beautifully, not just truthfully. And it's beginning to change the shape of my preaching in China. And I come to Milton all the time and say, oh, I struggle with this. You know where else I struggle even deeper than that? With Joshua. Similar personality, pretty intense, truth-oriented, logic-oriented. Boom. It's not his fault. My fault. And right now I am going through beauty 101, beauty school 101 in my relationship with my son Joshua. And I praise the Lord he placed him in my life. I'm going through beauty school 101 with the leaders of this church. I share with them my struggle and I email them. My family all said I talk too much at care group. I am not sharing this to embarrass me or to... No, I'm sharing to say, you know what? Authenticity overflows from the goodness of the gospel, isn't it? We're all in gospel school. And it doesn't start with the church building. It starts with our daily covenantal life. Amen? So we have the sheet. Go back, read it. There's application because of time. Before application, you can read the sheets. Are we living authentically? Are we demonstrating this in our family life? Even singles, look at the sheets. Paul had no marriage at that time. Paul had no children at that time. As a single, he still appealed to this as an understanding of ministry. This applies to married. This applies to women. This applies to the old, to the young. This applies to the singles. Amen? This gospel truth is good. Shall we pray? Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God is holy. Father, we come into your presence and we thank you this morning that you bid us to the cross. You bid us to the gospel. Father, we praise you for the beauty and the goodness in your word. We praise you that your word is embedded, not just in the printed word, but that it comes alive, it's vibrant. It shows forth its authentic power in the lives of every man and woman, every adult and every child in this room. Father, we praise you that your gospel power seeps into the very corners of cornerstone life. And Father, we thank you that your gospel truth, the need for authenticity, the privilege of authenticity, 
comes first into our daily living with those you have put us in a covenantal relationship with. That we may be authentic and that we may become leaders and we may look at the world and say, imitate us as we imitate Christ. And the world responds as he sees the beauty of Jesus lived out among our saints. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.